Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Pitts. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about a kidnapping so strange, it's hard to believe. And I'll be talking about a murder that tore apart a God-fearing, Jesus-loving Baptist congregation in Independence, Missouri. Oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> I have no idea what that's about. I bet you know the case. Oh, it's the... Um... Okay, never mind. Okay. <laughs> okay. I would be shocked if you don't know this case because it's local. Mm-hmm. And it was a pretty big deal. Yeah. When it happened. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. Let me get away my distractions. How here. many tabs do you have open? I right didn't now? have any open, just <laughs> the intros tab and then my script. But then I didn't have You it sound big like enough. a dude who has a bunch of porn up because I heard you. Yeah. There's nothing over here, I swear. Yeah, you clicked like five times and you're trying to tell me, oh, I just had like one window open. Um, I'm going to apologize ahead of time. I have like a little bit of a thing I'm getting over here. So sorry if I cough on the podcast. Okay. Randy and Teresa Stone had known each other practically their whole lives. They'd grown up together in the northeast part of Kansas City, but had lost contact when Randy joined the Marines. The two reconnected when he returned from his service in 1990, and they were married that same year. The couple was married in the church that Teresa had grown up in, New Hope Baptist Church in Independence, Missouri. Following their wedding, the Stones became very involved in the church, with Teresa working in the kitchen and singing in the choir. Randy was an invested member of the church as well, but he truly became a devoted follower in 1999 when Pastor David Love came to New Hope Baptist Church. Do you know the case? I think, okay, here's the thing. I think I have an idea, but I don't know much at all, so this is exciting. Excellent. David Love was an articulate, attractive, charismatic man of God. And he and Randy. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I know. I saw your face over there. Like, getting you a little heated. Huh? <laughs> articulate man of God. Huh? And he and Randy quickly became close friends with Randy serving as his financial officer at the church. Uh-oh. Randy called Pastor Love the most influential person in his life, and he really took to the demanding interpretation of Baptist Christianity that he preached. He challenged his congregation to stay strong in their faith and not take the easy, compromising, more liberal stance that, say, their Southern Baptist friends oh, might take. Oh, oh my. That, is that not fucking hilarious? Because I know a lot of Southern Baptists, and I would not say any of them are liberal. They're not liberal folks. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the Southern Baptists... Um, were anti-dancing until like the late 90s, yeah, right? Yeah. So like also this church. Also anti-fun. Yeah, this church is like 
super prim and proper, real buttoned up, real. Don't be like those hippie liberals in the Southern Baptist. In the Southern <laughs> Church. Church. That's right. Holy hell. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Randy loved a challenge, and he had a competitive nature that transferred easily from the church to the athletic field to the office. And that served him well when he opened his own agency with Farmers Insurance. Teresa worked in the office with him, first as a customer service rep and later as a licensed agent. Together, they grew the business to one of the top agencies in the region. Teresa often held down things at the office so Randy could be out in the public, the face of the agency, meeting with clients and fostering their relationship with Farmer's corporate office. It was here at their office, just off I-70 and Nolan Road in Independence, where Teresa noticed something was wrong on March 31st, 2010. That afternoon, Teresa pulled into the parking lot next to Randy's Blue Malibu, the only other car in the lot, and looked up to the building and saw that the blinds of their office were closed. That's odd, she thought. She'd opened them that morning, and Randy usually only closed them before he was locking up for the night, Mm -hmm. usually well after dark. Yeah. She entered the office, calling out Randy's name as she did. There was no answer. She looked in the storage room. No Randy. She went to his office. No Randy. Then she went down the hall to her office. And there, on the floor, next to her desk, was Randy. Oh, no. Blood was spattered across the furniture and walls. A trickle of blood that had run out of his ear had already began to dry. And he lay in a puddle of blood and splintered bone and brain matter. Oh, my. His eyes were black and his lips were blue. How long had he been there? A hot minute. (laughs) I don't know the answer. (laughs) Man, you could be a medical examiner. (laughs) Yes, it seems to me that he's been here a hot minute. (laughs) And then they cut to commercial break. Teresa called his name. She begged him to wake up. And when it was clear that that wasn't happening, she reached the phone and called her parents. She told them that Randy had been shot and that she needed them to come to the office. And then she called 911. Weird. Okay. Right? Weird. Yeah. Yeah. She told the dispatcher that she needed emergency crews as she just found her husband on the floor of her office unresponsive. But when the dispatcher asked her if she knew what was wrong with her husband, curiously, she gave them a different answer than Not, she'd given her he's parents. He's been shot? Okay. He's, he's been, I don't know. There's blood everywhere. It's coming out of his ear, she told the dispatcher. The dispatcher tried to calm Teresa and told her to wait outside until emergency crews arrived. The first on the scene happened to be a member of the church. He ran inside quickly and determined that Randy was dead. Then he came outside to deliver the news to Teresa. She cried. She yelled, no. And then she collapsed into the officer's arms. As more emergency crews and police officers arrived on the scene, so did church members. What? As Teresa's call to her parents had set off the church phone tree. Oh, great. (laughs) Right? So in just minutes, Kim Love, Pastor David's wife, was on the scene consoling Teresa. Then, within a half hour, earlier than anyone expected, Pastor Love himself was there. 
Instead of rushing to Teresa's side, the wife of his best friend, to console her, Pastor Love stood calmly at a distance and intently watched as investigators went in and out of the insurance office. There were people everywhere, church members, family members, first responders, detectives. It was chaos. Mm -hmm. But somehow, among the chaos, David Love found a quiet moment to tear his eyes away from the investigation and whisper to Teresa, get rid of the track phone. And if the police ask you about Randy's gun, tell them he sold it three months ago. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What, Kristen? He said this in helpful front- advice from her pastor. He said this in front of other people? But quietly and just to her. Yeah, I remember this story, so I'll stop. <laughs> detective Keith Rosewarin was the lead detective on the case, and he felt a connection to Randy Stone almost immediately. Like Randy... Rose Warren was a veteran having served 20 years in the army. It was an immediate kinship. He saw that Randy's life was not so different than his own. Mm -hmm. And he made a promise that he'd solve this whodunit for his military brother. A cursory glance of the office revealed something big to Detective Rose Warren. Randy Stone knew and trusted his killer. There was no sign of a struggle at the office, not even a hint of a minor altercation. And robbery was ruled out as a motive when over $150 in cash was found just sitting on a desk in one of the offices. Mm -hmm. And Randy's wallet was still in his pocket. A random shooting in a small office on the busiest stretch of road in Independence didn't seem like a likely alternative to the detective either. No. This was a targeted attack. What a missed opportunity to say this was personal. (laughs) (laughs) I want to pause here just for one second because I just realized that I have not said where I pulled most of this information from. This, the majority of this information comes from this amazing six-part series in the Kansas City Star that was written. Eric Adler? No. Oh, I really like it. It was written by Mark Morris and Brian Burns. Okay. Sorry to play favorites with my Kansas City Star reporters. That's okay. Is that the nerdiest thing I've ever done? It's pretty nerdy. Pretty up there. Okay. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Um, As Kristen said, this was personal. Dun, dun, dun. Detectives found a gun at the office, but it didn't match the spent shell casing found next to Randy's body. The gun they found was a thirty-eight caliber Ruger, while the shell casing belonged to a larger gun, a 40 caliber Glock. Mm-hmm. While investigators were still at the office looking for clues, two detectives sat down with Teresa Stone at police headquarters to go over what had happened that day and to see if she had any insight into who could have possibly killed her husband. And she was like, could I get away for a second and just get rid of this burner phone real quick? <laughs> I'm sorry, I've got evidence to destroy. Excuse me, I just need to dump this somewhere real quick. Guys, look, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Count to 30. <laughs> so things in this interview were odd from the beginning. Mm-hmm. When detectives asked Teresa if she could account for her whereabouts that day during the time that Randy was shot, she could. Down to the minute. Mm. 
And she the had the re- alibi that's yeah. too good. And she had the receipts to prove it. <laughs> yeah, she was like, well, I was at the gas station. I left there at 1014, and here's my receipt for that. And then I went to Marshall's. I was there until 1147. Here's my receipt for that. <laughs> and so immediately, this is a red flag. Yeah. And uh, detectives are like, okay, no one on the planet could account for their time to this detail unless they'd already known there was a need to create an alibi. Yeah. Then detectives asked Teresa about the gun they'd found in the office. They asked her if it was the only gun that Randy owned. And she said, yeah, she was pretty sure it was the only one he had. And when they pressed her about the possibility of him owning a larger gun, a Glock, as they had been told by his friends, she said she hadn't seen that gun in probably like a year or so. So she figured he must have sold it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then the questioning turned to the state of their marriage. Yes, Teresa told detectives, money had been tight recently because they'd made investments in the business to grow it. But the relationship was strong, and their marriage was better than ever. They were very much in love. Uh huh. And that's when detectives. I'm sure she was in love. Ooh! Boom. Was that like a little foreshadowing, Kristen? Yeah, it's brilliant foreshadowing. I'm sure no, <laughs> no one has, has put it together. Up on yeah. It yet. <laughs> and so this is when detectives brought up a letter that they found torn up into nine pieces in the bottom of her trash can at the office. It was a love letter written to Teresa on her birthday. Who writes love letters anymore? Right? So they're like, hey, so we found this letter in your trash can. Mm-hmm. It was like torn up into little pieces, and it was at the like the very bottom as if it had been placed there. You know anything about that? She's like, no, I don't have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know anything about a letter. Oh, come on. And so detectives are like, okay, no problem. We're going to go talk to crime scene investigators, see if we can get a copy of that. You hold tight right here. Oh, I love it. I love it. So she sits there in the investigation room. They watch her squirm. They've got her on video. And she sits there and she goes. No, she didn't say anything out loud, did she? Oh, great. I forgot about that. No. Yes. No. Yes. So they have her on tape. What? Okay. Doing that. Do Clearly people, she's never seen an episode of Dateline. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> do they not watch TV? Do they not, Clearly not read books? I mean. Yeah. I'm sorry. You don't even have to watch a Dateline. You could just watch Law and Order. Something. Anything. You know that they're recording you when you're in that room. If you're going to commit a crime, you should study. Yes, that's right. This is the part where we tell you how to commit a crime. You need to do your research. Watch Dateline. Watch 2020. Watch uh, 48 Hours. Watch all the Law and Order. Watch Crime Scene or CSI. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Forensic Files. Just go ahead and take a week. Yeah. Do a, I mean, do a little bit of homework. (laughs) (laughs) So... They leave the room. They go to get a copy of this letter. She says that thing and they get it on tape. Well, they come back in and they have a photocopy of this letter that they've now pieced back together. So they've got it like taped back together and they've got a photocopy of it. She looks at it. She glances over it quickly and then she like 
conjures up some story about how years ago it was given to her by a secret admirer while she was at work and it was left on her it was left on her car and she'd brought it into her office and she'd recently come across it again and she tore it up because she didn't want her husband to find it and think that there was something going on Uh uh-huh right yeah okay so detectives let her leave that day with the sliver of hope that they believed her secret admirer line. Are you going to read us the letter? Oh, maybe. Oh, my God, please. Yes. But in reality, detectives believed that they had just uncovered proof of a long rumored affair at the New Hope Baptist Church mm. and perhaps had uncovered a motive for murder. Yep. Because they believed the author of that love letter was none other then Pastor David Love. Are you shocked, Kristen? Here is a snippet oh my God. of yes. the letter. Yes. Happy birthday, love, in all caps. You are so very precious to my heart. I care for you more than anyone on earth. Mm. I'm not love. in control of things yet, but when we are fully together, your birthday will always be exciting, full of surprises, romantic, and all about loving you. You are the center of my world. I praise you. I adore you. I'm blessed by you. I need you. I love you. I remember nine years ago telling you I had something for you in my office. Ooh. It was me. Ew. Oh, no. <laughs> I wanted to give you me. That kiss you took, and then you gave me one back. I felt like it was my birthday. Gross! (laughs) It's so gross. Oh, okay. You know, he really lost me at the thing in the office. In the office, it was me. But I really don't like the, you took a kiss, gave one. No. No. (laughs) Yeah. Ugh, gross. So over the next couple of weeks, detectives... Detectives. How old was she? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Okay. I think she had two adult children. Oh, so okay, never mind. They were like in co- like college age. So I would guess okay. 40s, mid 40s. Because I was going to say, he says in that letter nine years ago when we met. Yeah. I was picturing her much younger. Yeah. So her, her thing about like, oh, it's from years ago. And then you add in right. nine. And it's like, okay. No. Okay. No, they gotcha. were at an appropriate age. The whole. Damn it. <laughs> A plenty appropriate age to be having a ten year affair, Kristen. No, I'm. I mean that more in like the timeline wouldn't add up. Oh, so they I got could you. Catch her in a line. I got you. I got you. Although you know how much I love age gaps, right? <laughs> Over the next couple of weeks, detectives focused their efforts on finding proof of the affair they believed was going on between David and Teresa. And this rumors of this affair were all over the place throughout this church. It was like everyone was talking about it. You can't hide something for nine years. No. And police formulated a theory that David had used Randy's own Glock to kill him. But they needed to know how involved Teresa was in this plot. In the meantime, Randy's funeral was held at New Hope with Pastor Love delivering a Gross. heartfelt eulogy that to his longtime sucks. friend. Is that not fucking terrible? Yep. yep, that's awful. I think it's disgusting. Yeah. We weep not just because of the separation of our loved one, but because of the questions 
that death brings. Questions like why? Why him? Why now? Then he answered, Because I fucking killed him. Yeah. Terrible. So it was the things that Teresa had done in like the day of the murder that originally had detectives casting suspicion on her. The accounting of her time down to the minute, the fact that she told her parents Randy had been shot and then didn't say that to the dispatcher, Mm -hmm. etc. But it was what she wasn't doing after the murder that caused that suspicion to grow. By April 20th, three weeks had passed since Randy Stone's murder. And that's enough time to get over your husband, right? right? Is that what she's saying? A typical person who's had their spouse murdered, Uh what do you think in the three weeks after they're doing? They're probably calling detectives every day, multiple times a day, offering them tips, asking them if they have any leads, like following up. In these three weeks, she hadn't called detectives at all. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she wouldn't want them to solve the murder. (laughs) Oh, God. But what she had done was visited their insurance agent to find out how quickly she could get paid out on the life insurance policy. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So it's been three weeks. It's April 20th. Three weeks have gone by since this murder. Detectives are working on the case. They're piecing together this theory about an affair. They're gathering evidence. And finally, they're like... We're going to have to bring her in. We're going to have to do more questioning. So on that day, um, Detective Rose Warren asked her to come in to the station for more questioning. He felt that she was going to be the easier one of the two to break under questioning. Well, yeah. I mean, if she said, oops, I forgot that. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So he has her come into the station and he gets her to sign a Miranda waiver. Oh, my God. So he can question her without any legal representation. Mm Mm-hmm. And he had in these in these weeks, he had put together like a pretty good stack of circumstantial evidence. But prosecutors were not willing to move forward until they had some kind something tangible, some confession from either Teresa or David that an affair was for sure going on. Okay. So Rose Warren starts out the investigation that day or the interrogation that day by focusing on that torn up love letter. He was like, listen, Teresa. If what you're saying is true, if this was written by someone that was infatuated with you, mm-hmm. then we need to know who that is so we can rule them out as a suspect. Yeah. But Teresa stuck to her secret admirer story. She was like, I don't know who it was. It was a secret admirer. They left it on my thing. And he's like, okay, so you just held on to it for all those years because mm-hmm. it was a secret admirer. Sure. So he keeps pushing harder. He quotes from the letter. I praise you. I adore you. I'm blessed by you. Teresa, this sounds like Christian verbiage. Uh Uh-huh. Did David Love write this letter? He just full on. Well, yeah, because I mean, it says we kissed. Yeah. Come on. And that was it. Teresa Stone cracked. Yes, she admitted. He wrote the letter. And then she spilled all the details about the, how they'd been having an affair for almost 10 years. It had started out as meeting like once or twice a week for sex. And then it had escalated and escalated until they were banging two or three times a day. Oh, my God. And then she still had her husband at home to take care of. And she said it was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean funny? If she was like, I had to kill him. I couldn't take it anymore. I'm exhausted. I've been taking a real pounding here. 
candy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, that would be exhausting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She'd even had um, a real scare in 2005 when she became pregnant with David's baby. Randy had undergone a vasectomy Oops. years before. Yep. Um, but she convinced him that it was possible, rare but possible, to conceive after a vasectomy. And Randy warmed to the idea of welcoming another child. Ultimately, Teresa had a miscarriage, and she considered this an act of God that spared her from having to explain to Randy that the baby wasn't his. Uh, that make you just, uh, just disgusts me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's so many things. Yeah. Over the years, the affair had grown from just sex to full-on infatuation with one another. And David and Teresa fantasized about leaving their spouses and marrying each other. They had countless emails back and forth about what their life would be, what their wedding would be like. Like, oh my gosh. Ridiculous stuff. Really? Yes. They were planning an outdoor wedding. Okay, why am I weirded out by that more than anything? (laughs) And when she found the perfect dress, David was going to be the first one to see it. (laughs) God. I can't believe how old they were. Yeah. I mean, this sounds like two dumb kids. Right. Yeah. These were grown-ass adults. Two dumb adults. Yeah. So over this 10 years, their spouses had not been without suspicion. Yeah, I was going to say, you can't go bang somebody two or three times a day without raising some eyebrows. Both Kim Love and Randy Stone had confronted their spouses over the years when the rumors had swirled about an affair. But both had brushed off the questions. Once Kim caught David sending an I love you text to someone on his phone that wasn't her. But David told her it was some line about how it was someone he didn't even know. And to prove to her that she was the only woman in his life, he removed texting from their phone plans the next day. And then promptly went out and bought burner phones for he and his mistress. Uh Yeah, he's like, look, no, I swear it's nobody. Look, this is how much I love you. I'm taking texting off our phones. I won't even be able to text anymore. No problem. You're the only woman in my life. No. Ugh. I'm so gross. (laughs) So all of this is going on in this interrogation room. She's spilling all these details. Meanwhile, in like a satellite room in the police headquarters, Mm -hmm. all of these police and investigators that have been involved in this case are gathered around watching all of these details come out. Oh, God. Because here's the deal. Randy Stone was friends with a lot of police officers. Sure. He had a military background. Yeah. It was just the type of person he connected to. Lots of the police officers were members of the church. And so it was just like, it was his crowd of friends. Yeah. And so they they were just like glued to this TV watching all oh of these my details gosh. just come out. I bet those guys were pissed. Oh, yeah. Once Teresa had spilled all the details about the decade-long affair, Detective Rose Warren turned the line of questioning to the discrepancies in the two phone calls she made immediately after she discovered her husband's body in the office that day. Mm-hmm. So the detective is like, so when you called your parents, you knew that Randy had been shot. But then when you called 911 after that, you didn't know he'd yeah. been shot. Yeah. Explain that one to me, Teresa. Who told you he'd been shot? Huh? Who told you? Come on. 
Oh, tell shit. me the truth. Oh, shit. And Teresa was like, what? I didn't know he was shot. I swear. I swear. I had no idea. And the detective's like, come on, Teresa. I know that you're not being truthful. Be truthful. And with that, Teresa lowered her head and said, he sent me a text and told me. God, she was easy to crack. Super huh? easy to crack. And the detective's I like, don't know. No. <laughs> what? Okay, Norman and I just watched the second Austin Powers movie yeah. for, like, this is stupid, so I'll cut this, but probably. Who knows? We'll find out. Um, we watched it on vacation because it was, like, the only thing on. Yeah. Um, do you remember the Will Ferrell character who you just had to ask him the same question oh, yeah. three times? Yeah. That's who she yeah, is. Yeah, that's who she is. She's but, totally that character. Yeah. Maybe even just two times. Just two times, yeah. And so she lowers her head and she says... He sent me he sent me a text and told me. And the detective says, Who who, who sent you a text? Mm-hmm. In an almost whisper, Teresa gave the answer that the detective had been waiting for. Brother love. I hate that she called him that. Well, yeah. But that's like a church thing. Well, yeah, let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> but Teresa maintained she hadn't played any part in planning the murder. Of course. Mm-hmm. So at this point, like all of this stuff's come out, and but she's still like not being like 100% with what the plan was and all of that. And so they're like, who are you? What are you doing? Who are you trying to protect? Like this man yeah. murdered your husband. And she's like, I'm trying to protect a man of God. He's a righteous man of God and all uh, of this stuff. Okay. Yeah. And so finally they get her to kind of like, uh, participate with them trying to get a confession out of him. So she calls David oh, Love okay. on the phone. It's like after midnight. She calls yeah. him at home on the recorded line, but immediately he's suspicious. Yeah. He's like, who he's are you? smarter than her. Oh, he's so smart. He's like, who are you with? Uh-huh. And it's clear that his wife is also in the room because then she gets on the line. She's like, what are you trying to do with my husband? What are you trying to do? And so like it it goes bad. They Uh tell her to hang up the phone. She gets off the phone. And I guess on at the love home, she's like, what's going on? Are you involved in this? And all David Love says to his wife, he goes, oh no, she's not going to pin this on me. (gasps) Oh, yes. Yeah. So he like gets in the car and leaves it's almost one o'clock in the morning by now and they've decided that since this isn't gonna work since this confession over the phone isn't gonna work they're gonna bring him in they're gonna arrest him bring him in for questioning so they bring him in that night teresa's been at the police station for like eight hours of interrogation at this point and they still have her there yeah so they bring him in but unlike teresa he wouldn't sign any waiver and he's like nope i'm not gonna speak to you guys without uh with out a lawyer present i don't trust you guys i'm a pastor i don't know the law (laughs) (laughs) okay and so they're like fine we're gonna book you for the night expect first degree murder charges tomorrow morning Uh uh-huh and so they do hoping that that will get him to cooperate if they you know Mm -hmm. dangle that in front of him unfortunately those charges didn't come through you're kidding me no They had to release him the next day. Prosecutors weren't willing to charge him until they had the analysis of his cell phones and his computers complete. And that could take months. What? Yes. So they're like, nope, let him go. 
Isn't that nuts? I'm amazed. Couldn't you charge him and then just move forward with all of that? You know, it's like I don't want I don't want anybody to go to prison for no reason. Obviously, but like like, it's pretty clear here what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So those charges didn't come through. They had to release him. But ultimately, those computer forensics showed up a lot of stuff. They got a lot of emails and stuff between them, some that I mentioned already. Specifically, there was one where Pastor David argued that the Bible says that even murder can be forgiven. No. He cited the story. Shall, he cited the story in the Bible where King David orchestrated the death of Bathsheba's husband Uriah so that he could take her as his wife. And then King David was still blessed by God. Oh, my God. And computer forensics also uncovered what they believed to be the catalyst of the whole murder plot. They uncovered emails in the summer of 2010 that Randy had sent to the new Hope Baptist Church two weeks before his murder. One read, I'm resigning as the finance minister and as a Sunday school teacher effective immediately. I do not want to talk about it. I do not want any emails. Mm. I do not want any visits. He was completely leaving the church. He figured it out. He figured out the affair. He figured out that there was like a lot of stuff being swept under the rug at the church. Like Pastor Love's son had been arrested on DUI, which is like Uh super frowned upon in this very buttoned up church. And it actually... I imagine they were anti-drinking Oh, yeah. It totally put... Um, the pastor's position at risk if the church found out about it. Uh And he had totally swept it under the rug, hadn't told the congregation about it at all. Mm -hmm. And so he was just like, I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm leaving this church. Teresa, you're coming with me if you want to stay married to me. Like, we will get through this, but we're going away. And so in Teresa's mind, she's being taken away from this, from David that she's totally infatuated with. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, that's it. This is what, this is what caused it. So... They bring Teresa back in for more questioning, and she admits that she told David that she wanted Randy dead. And that, yep. And that she gave Pastor Love the code to their security system, their garage code, and the code to their gun safe to get Randy's gun to kill him. Okay. I did not see that coming. Yeah. I really thought it would have been more David Love's idea. It totally was David Love's idea in the, in the beginning. And she was like, no, no. If yeah. we're meant to be together, God will find a way. God will find a way. And then she was like, let's help God. Let's help God. Here are the codes to all of our stuff. Take this gun. Go kill him. So they were totally in on it together. Wow. So they secured an indictment of first-degree murder against David Love finally in November of 2010. So it had been like eight months since the murder. Good grief. Yeah. And they were like trying to get him to take a plea deal up into Wait, the trial. Wait, this whole time was he like preaching on Sundays? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Can yeah. you imagine? No. Did you know the church had figured that oh, out? Oh, yeah. So I was not going to talk about this at the end, but I'll talk about it now. It's fine. So at the time that the murder happened, the congregation was approximately 250 to 300 Mm -hmm. people. But by this time, by the time that the the charges came through, it dropped to 100. Yeah. I'm surprised it was that big. Yeah. That's the power of habit more than anything else. Oh, for sure. 
for sure. So they secure charges against him and he's like, he's going, he gets a public defender. He's going to go forward with trial. He's maintaining his innocence this whole time. Mm -hmm. And then finally his wife is about to be deposed. His child's about to be deposed. His Teresa's daughter is about to be deposed. And the public defender is looking at all of this and she's like, you got to take a deal. Yeah. You've got to protect them from all of this. Yeah. And so she called his public defender, called the prosecutor and was like, would you take because he was facing first degree murders and was would be an automatic life in prison without the possibility of parole. Okay, And so she called the public defender, calls up the prosecutor and she's like, would you take murder two to take without the possibility of parole off the table? Mm -hmm. And they said yes. And so the prosecutor was like, yes, but he has to take that deal. By Monday, because Monday would be when all of those depositions would start. Yeah. And so she's like, I don't want to do all of those depositions if we don't have to. Yeah. So by now, it's like, it's November of 2011. A whole year has passed. The trial is scheduled to start in December. Yeah. And so she's like, I don't want to all put all those people through those depositions if we don't have to. So yes, I will. I will give this deal. But he has until Monday to take yes. it. Yes. And so she calls up. Kim Love, David's wife, who's uh-huh. stood by his side this whole time. You're kidding me. Yeah. And she tells her the deal. And she's like, we've got to get him to take the deal. And she's like, there's no way he's going to take the deal. And so. That arrogant yeah. son of a. So she, called, she has a meeting with David Love. And he's like, absolutely not. I'm innocent. Are you? <sighs> absolutely not. Ugh. But she doesn't call the, the prosecutor back yet. She's like, there's still a couple days. Maybe yeah. he'll think on it. Maybe he'll change his mind. The next day, Kim Love calls the public defender mm-hmm. and she's like, Pastor wants to meet with you, which I fucking hate. Yeah. That she's calling no. her husband Pastor. Well, and I hate that, like, he's clearly done this and we're still using nicey nice titles. No. Yeah. No. Your client, want, your defendant wants to meet with you. Like, yeah. 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 So. Your guilty client. You're, wants exactly. To meet with you. So she goes and she meets with David Love and he says, Take the deal. And the public defender's like, what? Are you serious? And he said, yes, I'm not an innocent man. I've done it all, and I need to ask for forgiveness. Ooh, Kim did some work on him. I don't know who did the work on him, but... I'm guessing Kim. So by this time... This whole case has become such a media spectacle because it's got nationwide news. Like it's this really, you know, really conservative church. And this has been this big affair going on where the pastor has now murdered someone. And so both sides, both the prosecution and defense are like, we need to try and keep this on the quiet. We need to try and keep the news out of this hearing where he's going to take the deal. So they threaten the Stone family, like the the Randy Stone's oh, parents and everybody, that if they leak the details of this deal, that there's a chance if it doesn't go through exactly as the, how they have it planned. And I can't remember the exact details of this. Okay. I didn't write it down. But if they leak this information to the press, if the press hears about it, it will compromise this whole deal. And David Love could only end up getting 10 years in prison. Oh, come on. And it works. Nobody says a word. November 9th, 2011, the hearing is held in Independence Court. They and He takes the stand. David Love takes the stand. They ask, did you willfully 
commit this murder? And he says, mm-hmm. yes. And um, did you use a firearm? And he says, yes. And then he's sentenced to life in prison. I do not like that at they all. They are. He is handcuffed. He's taken to jail. Just as everybody's leaving the courtroom, news vans pull up. They've just now gotten the word. Like, all of these news vans come, like, yep. screeching up to the courthouse. Yep. They've missed it. I hate that. You do? Yes. I kind of love that they were able to do it in secret. I think it's the former reporter. I <laughs> say, yeah, that must be. I love that they were able to keep it a secret. No, because... Who are they protecting? I think they're protecting Randy Stone's family. By threatening them and telling them well, if not you threatening well, I guess you I did. Tell, they really then did. He's gonna get ten them. years. Yeah, that's yeah, that's threatening. Yeah. But both the defense and the prosecution wanted to keep the media out of it. Yeah, I can understand why they might want that. Yeah. But that's not their decision. That's not right. their call. Right. But it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Then, Teresa Stone, she'd held out this whole time. She'd cooperated with everything. She'd signed away her Miranda rights. And she thought probably any minute that she'd be getting offered up a deal. No deal came. She ended up facing charges of conspiracy to commit murder. Mm -hmm. And she didn't ask for a deal. She went to court. She pled guilty. All she asked for was leniency. She said, I'm sorry. If I could do anything to change it, I would. I ask you today to show mercy. I am totally responsible for my actions. Wow. And her her children got up and asked for leniency. Mm-hmm. She was sentenced to, do you have a guess? What was the max for her? I don't, do you know? so um, I, I'm going to say 10 years. For she her. got eight years. Okay. Yeah. So she was sentenced to eight years. So she'll, I think she pled guilty at the end of 2011. So at the beginning of 2012. So she'll be getting out sometime 2019, 2020. Welcome back, Teresa. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Huh. So the New Hope Baptist Church has got a new pastor now. It still is around. They broke ground on a new church. I don't know that if it's, I mean, it's probably finished by now, but the end of this article just talks about how they were breaking ground on a new church and uh, that it would be dedicated in Randy Stone's honor. Wow. That's yeah. cool. And that since this has happened, since the new pastor has taken over and they've started to rebuild, the congregation's back up to like 300 people. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's key is like building a new building and dedicating yeah. it to him rather than yeah. trying, to, trying pretend to pretend it, it didn't happen. Happened. Yeah. So David's, David Love has a possibility of parole, but he will likely be like 80 years old before that even comes up. Yeah. I think like seven, 70 something. He probably will not get out, but there's a chance he could be paroled. Wow. Well, it's all up to God, I guess. That's up to God. <laughs> that's right. Wow. Holy we'll see crap. if God blesses him like he did King David. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Are you ready? For a kidnapping? You know I'm always ready for a kidnapping. This is so good. I'm so excited. So good. It's 3 a.m. in Vallejo, California. Mm-hmm. Aaron Quinn and Denise Huskins wake up to lights in their eyes and laser beams roaming their bedroom. They hear men all over their house. 
A guy comes in wearing a wetsuit. He's got a gun. He knows their names. Was he wearing the flippers? <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> Can you imagine? Right. Man, <laughs> the flippers were a bad idea. <laughs> he tries to run away. Right. <laughs> he puts them. This is a good for <laughs> Sorry, this is a bad transition. Yeah. Sorry. He puts zip ties at the edge of the bed. He turns to Denise, says, you tie Aaron's hands behind his back. Okay, now tie his feet. By the way, Denise, you're doing a great job. Are you comfortable? What? Uh-huh. Then, once Denise and Aaron are zip-tied up, the man shoves them both into the closet. He blindfolds them with blacked-out swim goggles. What the fuck? He puts headphones on them. The headphones played loud, soothing music. Ooh. Like, I'd be terrified right now, but this spa music is just, I can't even fight the relaxation. <laughs> then he gave them drinks. Mm-hmm. The drinks were Pina this. Pina coladas? Uh, I wish. <laughs> they were this nasty mix of cough syrup and sedatives. Oh, okay. So Denise is sitting there. Scissor. <laughs> so Denise is sitting. What? That's a real thing. Yeah, I know. I'm just ignoring you. <laughs> Purple drank. (laughs) You're 32. (laughs) This is just a reminder. (laughs) So Denise is sitting there with the soothing music, but Aaron doesn't have the same stuff playing in his (gasps) headphones. What's in his headphones? Angry rock music? He's listening to a pre-recorded voice. Ooh. It says, don't resist. If you resist, we'll hurt Denise. We'll use a stun gun on her. We'll slice her face open. This is a kidnapping. We're here to take Denise. Whoa. That's when someone grabbed Denise and threw her in the trunk of a car. She still had the goggles on, still had the headphones on. At this point, Aaron is still listening to his headphones. And then I can't tell if the recorded voice said this or if he later found a note. But at any rate... They wanted two payments of $8,500 in exchange for Denise. That's an odd amount. He thought so, too. He's, like, freaking out and he's drugged up, but through that fog, he thinks to himself, that's really odd. That's, like, what I have in the bank. (gasps) I can pay that without going to the cops. It's a low amount. Okay. The drink makes him pass out. When he comes to, he's alone in the closet. And there are motion detectors. <laughs> God. And there are motion detector. <laughs> I like how you just don't even acknowledge me anymore. <laughs> Kristen, you're making me cry. I'm trying to make you up your game. I'm like, I'm going to ignore any reference to R. Kelly. <laughs> so when he comes to, he's alone in the closet. And there are motion detector cameras positioned all over the house. And there's red tape on the first floor of the house. Aaron was told, you set one foot outside the lines, we kill Denise. What? You go to the police, we kill your whole family. Oh my gosh. Aaron didn't know what to do. He waited for 10 hours. (gasps) And finally... After a lot of thought and panic and worry, he broke down and called the police. He was 
terrified. He thought by placing this call, I could be killing Denise. I don't know. But he called and police arrived on the scene and pretty soon they did a news conference and Lieutenant Kenny Park of the Vallejo Police Department announced that they were treating this as a kidnapping for ransom. They said, hey, if you know anything about this, please come forward. Instantly, this was all over the news. Everyone was looking for Denise. But it was kind of tough. Police had no suspects. They had no leads. And kidnappings aren't very common. Yeah. And the story was pretty fucking weird. Yeah. Police were like, this is strange. Here come these two hotties. They're both physical therapists. She's blonde and has excellent bone structure. He's got these piercing eyes and what? also has excellent bone structure. I'm just making this up. Oh. Um, <laughs> no, but here's what they're thinking. So okay. they live in a beautiful home in the low crime city of Vallejo, California. This doesn't seem yeah. this doesn't seem right. And this seems so far fetched. I mean, a guy in a wetsuit broke into your home with a bunch of criminals and set up cameras and yeah, red tape. Super and weird. Gave you purple drink and like <laughs> We don't, we don't buy it. Police thought, okay, what's the more likely scenario here? That this story played out exactly as Aaron says it did? Or that Aaron murdered Denise <gasps> and now created this elaborate Holy shit, I hadn't story. even thought of that. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, that's a, it's a crazy story. Had you seriously not thought No, that? I hadn't even <laughs> considered that. You know what? This is what happens when you're so caught up in your R. Kelly references. <laughs> I miss the obvious. <laughs> so they're like, oh boy. Oh my gosh. They questioned Aaron for like 18 hours. They told him, hey, just come clean. Come on. They asked for access to his phone, obviously. They asked for a blood sample. They asked question after question. Meanwhile, they start talking to Denise's parents. Denise's dad said that they told him, hey, just kind of prepare yourself. We don't know that this is a real kidnapping. This Aaron guy is telling us a story, and the story just doesn't make a lot of sense. So police are super suspicious. And then... The San Francisco Chronicle starts getting weird emails. They claim to be from the kidnappers. They get a recording. In it, a woman who sounds a hell of a lot like Denise says, My name is Denise Huskins, and I'm kidnapped. Otherwise, I'm fine. Earlier today, there was a plane crash in the Alps, and 158 people died. So that it couldn't be pre-recorded. Right. <gasps> what? Then, 48 hours after she'd been abducted, Denise reappeared. She looked to be unharmed. She wasn't crying or bruised. She explained to everyone that she'd been taken away and she'd been raped and then her abductor had driven her hundreds of miles away from Vallejo and dropped her off in Huntington Beach, California, right by her mom's house. What? Bullfucking shit. You sound just like the police. They were like, what the fuck? 
we thought Aaron murdered you, but here you are, and you look fine. This is so weird. Oh, my gosh. Here is a relevant piece of information. The book Gone Girl had been out for a while. And Gone Girl, the movie, had been out for like a year. So another crazy thing. Denise looks a lot like the woman who played Amy in Gone Girl. Rosamund Pike. Thank you. Police are like, no way. We read books. We watch movies. This right here is a Gone Girl situation. First of all, you're super calm. Second of all, the kidnappers wanted some shitty ransom, and they didn't even get the shitty ransom. And then they, like, drove you almost to your, to your mom's, mom's house? No way. No way. Oh we don't gosh. buy it. Police start talking to Denise. They question her, and she starts to get uncomfortable because she's like, I'm the victim here. I was kidnapped. I was raped. But they weren't talking to her like she was the victim. At that moment, she did not have a lawyer, obviously. But one of her relatives had recently passed the bar, and he told her, if you're ever a suspect in a crime, get yourself a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So she was like, well, they're talking to me like I did something wrong, so we're done. I need a lawyer. Mm -hmm. That pissed the cops off. Oh, yeah. They were like, well, this is for sure a Gone Girl situation. Mm-hmm. Police announced that the whole thing was a hoax. Lieutenant Kenny Park told they them. They did? Yeah. They had what they needed. They were like, okay, that's a pretty big rush to judgment there. What do you think they should have done? I maybe looked into it a little further. Huh. Weird. But didn't you hear how, like, she looked just like the Gone yeah, Girl lady. Yeah, so they have, like, they have a theory. Well, but somehow theories can really solidify oh pretty quick. Oh, my gosh. So Lieutenant, Lieutenant Kenny Park told the media, Mr. Quinn and Ms. Huskins have plundered valuable resources away from our community. We had over 40 police detectives from the local, state, and federal level working around the clock. That is a tremendous amount of resources that, in my opinion, was wasted. Oh, my God. I hope this is a fucking real-ass kidnapping and he has to eat his fucking hat. He said they owed the community an apology. He also said that if there was sufficient evidence, he'd request that criminal charges be brought against them. Wow. Denise and Aaron. We're fucking pissed, I bet. Mm Mm-hmm. They were stunned. There was this theory floating around at the time that they'd done it so they could be like reality TV stars. But Denise and Aaron were like, what? No, we're we're like normal people. We're physical therapists. We've got good jobs. Oh we would never put gosh. our friends and family through this. We're, we're just, we're not that type. That's not what we would do. They were adamant that what happened to them was real and horrible. But aside from family and really close friends, everyone thought they were full of shit. No one listened to them. Here's the worst part. It was It was all real. Yes. Oh my gosh! Yes. It sounds insane, but it was real. Okay, so here's the truth. The kidnappers had taken Denise to a cabin in South Lake Tahoe. 
about 150 miles away. And when her kidnapping made the news, they turned on the TV and made Denise watch the coverage. She watched coverage of her dad telling her to be strong. For the most part, they kept her in a blacked-out room, tied up and sedated. Denise thought for sure she was going to die, but she was determined. She wasn't going to spend the last moments of her life screaming in terror because she thought that that would give them some satisfaction. And by Mm -hmm. the way, it's unclear if it was one guy or like a bunch of kidnappers. But anyway, she thought really hard about her situation and decided it's not worth it to fight back. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, drugged up. I'm tied up. I'm probably just going to piss them off Mm -hmm. even more. So she decided... I'm just going to make them see me as a human. I'm going to try to humanize myself to them. And that seemed to work a little. The captor said that she and Aaron were good people. They didn't deserve all this. Then he raped her. Mm. He recorded it on camera, but I guess didn't like how it looked, so he did it again and told her to make it look consensual. He told her that he was being forced to rape her by this gang that he was part of, and that if she ever thought about going to the police, they'd use the videotape against her. Oh, my gosh. So it was a horrible, traumatizing experience for Denise. And then two days after that initial abduction, her captor gave her another dose of sedatives, put her back in the car, and said, I'm going to let you go. And she was like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're going to kill me. And he said, no, no, really. Killing you is not part of the plan. But as we know, he really did let her go. And I, the thing I couldn't figure out was like, did he know where her mom's house was? Did she request? I mean, like, but it was far out of the way for him to drive. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just, it was weird. Oh it was super gosh. weird. Um, when he dropped her off, he told her, I wish we could have met under different circumstances. And you know what? I'm done with this. I'm not going to do this sort of thing again. And then he left. So, you know, then Denise shows up. And again, she doesn't have physical bruises because she made that decision not to fight back. You Mm -hmm. know, it was a strategic decision. Mm -hmm. And she says that when she was dropped off, she was just in shock. Like, the reason she was so calm seeming was just because... Like, I can't fucking believe this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, like, she saw a man, I think he was doing, like, gardening work or something. She went up to him, calmly asked to use his cell phone. That's how she called the police. I mean, that's... That, and that was used against her initially. It was like, oh, you didn't go, like, running up to him and say, wow. oh, my God, I'm Denise Hoskins. So again, everyone. One, even if she wasn't in shock, I people react to stress in different ways. Yeah. Maybe that's just not how she reacts. Yeah. It's funny because, on the one hand, I totally understand why police would be suspicious as yeah. hell because this is a crazy story. Yeah. But it's like you were saying, you can't just decide. No. So, everyone thinks this is a hoax it's been written off as a hoax meanwhile she knew that this predator or predators were out there yeah and that they'd probably do this again what what could stop them time passes then once again the staff at the san francisco chronicle starts getting emails holy cow they claim to be from the kidnappers 
Buckle up. Here we go. In the emails, a man purporting to be part of the kidnapping team said that the kidnapping was absolutely not a hoax. He even seemed to feel sorry for Denise and Aaron. Yeah. He explained that he and the other kidnappers were basically like the guys from Ocean's Eleven. What? They were like a gentlemanly crime squad. Okay. Yeah, I missed all the rape scenes in Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. (laughs) So he said, we are young adults, fairly recent college graduates. I have only ever seen it on TBS, so I imagine (laughs) they'd cut that out. (laughs) He said, we are young adults, fairly recent college graduates, and up until now, this was a bit like a game or movie adventure. He described the group as professional thieves, though we have not been doing it that long and don't identify ourselves as such. Oh, okay. Which makes no fucking sense. Yeah, you just identified yourself as such. Yeah, and you don't fit the bill at all. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. He also said, we are more than two and fewer than eight in number. What is this, a fucking riddle? (laughs) (laughs) It gets better. All but one of us holds at least bachelor degrees, including from your alma mater. I don't know who this was addressed to. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. If Mary is older than Tim, but Tim is older than Lisa, how old is Mary? (laughs) That's what that seems like. Yeah, no, it does. They explain that the kidnapping was really just them testing out a new crime. See, they'd been stealing cars, but that wasn't super lucrative. So the guy wrote, The operation was meant to be a test of methods that would be used later on a higher net worth target in an environment that was familiar to us and somewhat controlled. But it went terribly wrong. We are criminals, I suppose, but we have consciences, and seeing the impact of our actions on someone deeply affected us and caused us to reconsider our lives. Okay. You have no good reason to continue allowing the community to believe they are hoaxers. The operation was not about money. We are not doing so well for ourselves that $8,500 was chump change, but it was training we were after. We needed a live fire exercise before taking on a hard target to learn how people react and iron out all the wrinkles. For what it's worth, what could have ended up as a prolific and dangerous criminal group, has disbanded. And you have victim F to thank for it. Whoa! Wait, who are victims A, B, C, D, and E? (laughs) That's You know what? I hadn't even thought about that. Um, We might figure that out, actually. Now I'm putting stuff together. But anyway. Oh, okay. Then they told the Vallejo police that they had 24 hours to issue an apology to Denise. Ooh. Okay, now, is that not the weirdest? It, yeah, they're like, um, they're like good guy, bad guys. Like, <laughs> they're like, they're like bad guys who don't want to admit that they're bad guys. Yeah. Like, really, no, we're really good guys. <laughs> You know, we thought about doing more awful shit, but then we felt bad. Yeah. This is crazy. Then the man sent two photos. One was of the room where Denise was held, and the other was of a squirt gun painted black 
with a flashlight and laser beam attached. Well, I guess the beam wasn't, you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Police. (laughs) Vallejo police were like, okay, okay. Clearly Aaron and Denise are behind these emails. What? Yeah. Everybody calm down. These two do not know when to quit. What a bunch of dicks. (laughs) (laughs) Then the email stopped. Everyone thought that Denise and Aaron were full of shit. For nearly a year, police wouldn't return their IDs. They kept their cars for a while. Denise and Aaron said they felt like fugitives. Yeah. Then, in Dublin, California. When they're victims. Yeah, of a fucking crazy horrible crime. Shit. Then in Dublin, California, about 40 miles away from Vallejo, a couple was asleep in their bed. <gasps> I believe they had a child too. Mm-hmm. So they wake up in the middle of the night to an intruder shining a flashlight in their eyes. He wants to restrain them with zip ties. Scuba suit? It didn't say, but... He just ditched the flippers this time. Yeah, he's like, I've learned. Okay, I've learned the flippers. Bad idea. I'm wearing my sneaks. (laughs) Sneaks. So the husband starts fighting. They're for sneaking. (laughs) So the husband starts fighting with the guy. Oh my gosh. They struggle back and forth. Eventually, the intruder flees the scene. The woman calls police. Police show up. And they discover, holy shit, that the intruder left behind his cell phone. Oh! Okay, so Dublin police take the cell phone. And this next part, I am making up, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Okay. Okay, so in... Oh, shit, I forgot to say. um, There's an amazing episode of 2020 on this. Oh, shoot, that's bad. It's fine. Amazing episode of 2020. Okay. So in the episode, they say something like... Listen, we're like the only podcast in the world that mentions our sources. (laughs) So... okay. True. True story. True story. True story. (laughs) So. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So. Sorry. In the 2020. So in the 2020 episode, they said this thing like they traced the phone back to some town in California. And I'm thinking, well, how did they, how do you trace Trace a phone phone, back when it's in your possession? And I thought, well. Maybe I guess you could do the ping cell towers and stuff, but that would take a really long time, and they seem to do this quickly. So what I think happened, even though they did not say this in the episode, Mm -hmm. what I think happened is they pulled up the old cell phone, went through the context, hit mom, and dialed his mom. (laughs) Because his mom, they called her. They did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So she picks up the phone. She says, yes, this phone belongs to my son. He misplaced it yesterday. And they're like, oh, oh, great. Did he? Um, what's your son's name? And she's like, oh, it's Matthew Muller. Oh, and he's living out in South Lake Tahoe right now. Oh, oh. Do you need his address? Oh. They're like, yes, please. That would be great. <laughs> You've been a world of help. <laughs> so police looked into Matthew Muller. And they were stunned. He was a former Marine and a graduate of Harvard Law School. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. He was married and working as an immigration attorney. He was handsome. Again, 
Everyone in this story has great bone structure, including the bad guy. So he was handsome, successful. He'd been on the news a few times. I mean, you say that like you're jealous, but you have excellent cheekbones, Kristen. I have big old chubby cheekbones. You do not have chubby cheekbones. (laughs) You know what I mean. You have big old cheeks. No, you don't. You have great cheekbones. It's the highlighter. It's a it's <laughs> visual illusion? visual trickery. <laughs> but thank you. You're welcome. Don't suck it. <laughs> but things weren't as perfect as they seemed. He and his wife were divorcing, and he was actually getting disbarred. So okay, sorry. I have to go back to your cheeks. If you didn't have some amount of like cheekiness, uh-huh. you wouldn't be able to have dimples. You're acting like dimples are great, but I'm 33. Like they they're, stop being cute after like they're fantastic. <laughs> you just want to stick your finger in them, don't you? <laughs> Ding! <laughs> Do you think of like Mario Lopez when you see me? <laughs> I've never thought of Mario Lopez when I've seen you, but I will now. What about my sweet Jerry curl? <laughs> Your soul glow. <laughs> By the way, I'm wearing a scrunchie today. How do you feel? Uh, they're coming back. I know they're coming back, but I didn't know if maybe I was like getting in a little too early. Nah, no, nah, you're fine. Okay. I love it. All right. Okay, sorry. Back to your story. So he was also wearing a scrunchie. If you can handle it with your head as big as it is now. <laughs> what? Me with my excellent and bone structure, bone structure. And adorable dimples. Are you wondering how I fit into this yeah. story? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so he and his wife were divorcing and he was getting disbarred. Okay. Things so his life was falling apart. So he was like, well, I guess I'll turn to a life of crime. Yeah. All but I'll right. be a gentleman criminal. I'm going to be on the other side of the law now. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seen that movie. Police go to the house in Lake Tahoe. They arrest Matt Muller, and they found a bunch of evidence. The car he drove, which he mentioned in one of his emails to the San Francisco Chronicle, still had the GPS history in it. Well, damn. And and it showed the spot on Huntington Beach where he dropped off Denise. Wow. In the house, they found the blacked-out swim goggles that Denise and Aaron had tried describing, and there was a long blonde hair still stuck in the duct tape. Ooh. Then they found the painted gun thing, which Matthew had taken a picture of and sent to the paper. All of a sudden, the world is like, whoa. whoa. Oh, shit. We owe Denise and Aaron a, a huge fucking apology. Yes. A parade. Yes. And $1 million. You're close. <laughs> So their attorneys organized a news conference just to be like, hey, everyone, just in case you're wondering what this Matt Muller thing means, it means that they Denise and Aaron lying. yeah, are victims. Yeah. They're not hoaxers. They're not attention whores. They're the heroes of this story. Yeah. And let's all show our middle fingers to the Vallejo mm-hmm. Police Department. So they were vindicated. But Denise said it didn't feel good. Really disappointed in you. Why? You didn't sing Dashboard Confessional right then. Vindicated! I am selfish! I am wrong! (laughs) I am right! I swear I'm right! I swear I I knew it all along! And I am... (laughs) Man. Man. 
senior year of high school. How many times did I sing that song? So Denise said it didn't feel good. Yeah. Because she was so upset that this other family had to be victimized in order for her to be believed. Yes. She knew this was going to happen. She knew it was going to happen to somebody um, and that they'd strike again. But no one believed her. Amazingly, the Vallejo police sort of stuck to their story. They said it was a hoax, but they'd continue to investigate it. What? Listen, it's tough to admit you're wrong. Wow. At this point, Aaron and Denise are mad. They sue him. Wait for it. They start thinking about all the ways that the police did not help them. Yeah. And then they're like walking down the street and they turn and they look at each other and they say, let's go to court. How dare you jump ahead in my script? (laughs) You know, I had that exact thing in there. So they thought about how they had interrogated Aaron. During that interrogation, they took his cell phone and these dumb fuckers Put it in airplane mode. Oh, gosh. During the kidnapping, Matt called Aaron's cell phone twice. Oh, my gosh. And those calls could have been traced back. If they'd bothered to do it. Holy hell. Apparently, they eventually did trace those calls. It's tough to see, it's tough to know what exactly they did do. Yeah. Um, but the calls came from a burner phone that had been purchased at Target. So they looked at the grainy surveillance yeah. footage. And my understanding is they either assumed that that was Aaron buying mm-hmm. the phone or an accomplice of Aaron's. Wow. Also, during the kidnapping, Denise's phone received calls. Her phone pinged near the location where she was held. In South Lake Tahoe? But I guess they disregarded it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Denise and Aaron also thought, you know, the Dublin police, when they had that intrusion in their area, they reached out to other police departments to see if they'd experienced anything similar, any similar crimes. But Vallejo police, when we went to them with our story, they didn't do that. Then they discovered that if they had... They would have learned about break-ins that occurred in Palo Alto and Mountain View, California. Both times, a man broke into the house wearing all black, forced the woman to put on blacked-out swim goggles, and drink NyQuil and other sedatives. And get this, Matt Muller was questioned (gasps) in one of those home invasions. Holy hell. Yeah. Wow. What the fuck, right? Yeah. So Aaron and Denise are getting more and more upset about this. Meanwhile, Matthew is brought into court. He struck a deal with the prosecution. He agreed to plead guilty, and they agreed to only ask the judge for 40 years. The prosecution's logic was, he's a dangerous predator. We need to put him away until he's too old and weak to commit another one of these crimes. Because I think he was like uh, 38 when he did this. So they're thinking 40 years should do the trick. Right. At his sentencing, Matt's defense attorney argued that Matt should receive just 30 years, saying that, you know, Matthew is mentally ill. He has bipolar disorder. He suffers from depression. At the sentencing, Matt spoke. He said, 
I'm sick with shame. He said he'd accept whatever punishment he was wow. given. Denise and Aaron also spoke. When Denise stood, she said, Now we meet face to face, eye to eye. I'm Denise Huskins, the woman behind the blindfold. She talked for nearly half an hour. Wow. She said, For over a year, if I came home alone, I would grab a knife and look behind every door in every corner. I have a hammer by my bed that I reach for in the worst of my nightmares. Sleep is not rest for me. It's a trigger. I still can't make any sense of this. Oh, my gosh. Then she said, I know without doubt or hesitation that as long as he walks free, there will be more victims. Mm -hmm. The judge sentenced Matt to, what do you think? 35 years. 40 years in prison. So Matt is in federal prison. But Denise and Aaron are still processing their feelings about how the Vallejo Police Department mishandled this crime. Eventually, the Vallejo police did send a letter of apology. In it, they mentioned the comments that they'd made about them. And the letter said, quote, While these comments were based on our findings at the time, they proved to be unnecessarily harsh and offensive. Wow. What? You're not impressed? It's quite the apology. So in this episode of 2020... We're sorry if you found our comments <laughs> unnecessary and offensive. We're sorry if you're offended. Yeah. We're sorry if you don't like being called a hoaxer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Denise, in this episode of 2020, was like, it was basically sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. So they're like looking at that shitty ass apology and they're like, mm, not great. Here's another reason they knew that the police weren't really sorry. The primary investigator on that that case was Matthew Mustard. He was awarded. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I I hated that he had that last name because I was like, Brandy's gonna get totally sidetracked. Sorry. So Matthew Mustard was awarded Officer of the Year the same year that he accused mm. Denise and Aaron of making it up. So they were like, obviously, they... Seems to me that he didn't cut the mustard. <laughs> Do you hear that? That's the sound of everyone clicking pause. <laughs> <laughs> and stopping listening yeah. to this forever. That's right. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> There's like five people who are like, this podcast doesn't cut the mustard. <laughs> Sick burn. (laughs) Sick burn, see if I care. No, please keep listening. So Denise and Aaron were fed up. They were walking down the street. (laughs) All of a sudden, they turned to each other and they said, Let's go to court! Civil court! So they sued the city of Vallejo. They also sued Kenny Park, who was the lieutenant who, for some reason, I guess he was maybe the spokesperson because mm-hmm. he was always in front of the cameras, and Matthew Mustard. They sued them for defamation and emotional distress. Uh, yeah. They settled for, how much do you think? My guess earlier was $1 million. Yeah. $2 million. <laughs> 2.5. Wow. Yeah, I think. That's pretty good. I think so. Yeah. I kind of thought maybe more, but you know. Yeah, I think they probably could have gotten more. Yeah. But this story isn't over. What? Nope. 
Denise and Aaron believe that the police haven't finished their job. Matthew oh, Muller. Oh, because there were other people. Yeah, they so they believe yeah. that Matthew Muller was part of this group of criminals. Yeah. They said that when they were in the closet, you know, they heard other people like slamming cupboards mm-hmm. all throughout the house. Now, in one article I read, it said that when he committed the crime, Matthew had like this speaker on his chest that had pre-recorded sounds of other people. Um, I only read that one place, though. It sounds super weird. But, you know, this whole thing was super weird. Super weird, yeah. So police and prosecutors say, no, he acted alone. Um, For some reason, Denise and Aaron don't really trust the police. Can't imagine why. Can't imagine why. (laughs) (laughs) So they they still think that there are other people walking around. Despite all this, Denise and Aaron have moved forward with their lives. I did not write this down, but I think that at the time of the crime, they'd only been dating for like seven months. Wow. Yeah. Now they work with survivors of sexual abuse, and they've gotten engaged. Denise's criminal attorney is going to officiate the ceremony. All of their attorneys are going to be at the wedding. Wow. They talked about how, like, it seems really weird now that they're going to have a wedding filled with attorneys. But, like, these are people who saw them through the worst time possible. So they're really grateful to them. Aaron said, many people marry their best friend, but they don't get to marry their hero. Okay, you're going to get really pissed off at this next part. Why? Well... In my defense, I thought this whole thing was over. Kristen (laughs) Michelle Pitts. I know. You're going to get so (laughs) pissed. So I was like, do-do-do-do-do, finish the 2020 episode, which is kind of like seeing what else I could find. So Matthew Muller is still in prison, obviously. But in a jailhouse interview, like, Two months ago, he said he's not guilty of raping Denise Huskins or assaulting Aaron Quinn. The reason this came up was because his guilty plea was in federal court. And now California state court is bringing charges against him, too. So this time, he's not going down without a fight. He says he's completely not guilty. And that the reason that he took the plea deal last time was just because he felt really bad for Denise and Aaron. And he wasn't mentally sound. Oh, my gosh. He plans to represent himself. Oh, no. And he plans to use the insanity defense. Wow. Legal experts have weighed in, and they say that's fucking stupid. Yes. (laughs) Is that you? (laughs) Are you that legal expert? No, I will quote an actual legal expert. So this is legal analyst Stephen Clark said, It flies in the face of his mental health defense to, at the same time, be representing himself. Duh. Yeah. 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 But here's the thing. Matthew says he will plead guilty on one condition. See, he found out that Denise and Aaron got that settlement from the city. And if they agree to donate half of the $2.5 million to a nonprofit that helps the wrongfully convicted, he'll go ahead and plead guilty. Fuck off. Uh-huh. Fuck off. Get out of here. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Get ready to get more annoyed. 
He figures they should understand how awful it is to be wrongfully accused. Since, you know, it happened to them, too. Get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. Fuck that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other horrible thing is that by being his own attorney, it means that potentially he could get to cross-examine mm-hmm. Denise and Aaron. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Fuck that guy. He also mentioned that he's been attacked and raped in prison. Fighting real hard. A comment on that, Kristen? What? (laughs) I guess he preferred to be the rapist. (laughs) Uh, I just... I find it interesting... uh, and someone who has raped someone can complain about being raped? Yeah. 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 Doesn't feel so good when the shoe's on the other foot. Yep. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, here, here's another fun tidbit. This, oh, guy, no. this guy is the worst. So in this late September interview, he said, I understand Huskins and Quinn's wedding is coming up soon. I did not control the timing of this. To suggest somehow that I've plotted to make this happen right before they got married is ridiculous. Okay. So we've got this thing happening where he's like going to potentially cross-examine them. He's going to try to plead not guilty, all this bullshit, and they're trying to get married. In late October, Matthew Muller was back in court. He made a motion for co-counsel. Mm-hmm. So Aaron Quinn's attorney had a theory on this. He figured Matt wants co-counsel so that he can basically manipulate everyone. So yeah. he can have someone there signing off on everything he's doing, mm-hmm. but at the same time arguing, oh, I'm insane, you know, yeah. blah, 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 blah. But the motion was denied. Matthew Muller will be back in court on December 10th. Thank you, Kristen. It's a cliffhanger. We're going to have to do a special podcast dedicated to all these fucking cliffhangers you keep leaving us on. (laughs) I never intend to do a cliffhanger. It just happens. May I give you good news? Yeah. Denise and Aaron got married. They did? Yeah. Yay. Yeah. When? I couldn't figure out the exact date. Uh I did a lot of creepy things to figure out that they have gotten married. You went on their Facebook? I'm not proud of the fact <laughs> that I stalked them, but um, yeah, uh, it was either late September or early October. Excellent. Congratulations. Wish them the best. Yes. Wish Matthew Muller the worst. Mm-hmm. Ugh, that was crazy. Yeah, it was, it was nuts. Fucking bananas. Yeah, I, I feel so sorry. I feel like... I feel like that is such a mind fuck because you hear that story in the beginning and you're like, no way. Yeah, no, no way, way that's true. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Yeah. So um, it's the day before Thanksgiving when this podcast oh, comes out. I was looking at you like, is in fact not. <laughs> when this podcast goes out, it'll be the day before Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. So I think you should tell all of our listeners some of them have heard about this because Norm called you out on Twitter for it. What? How for years you thought oh, ham was turkey. 
Tell us the story, Kristen, oh of God. why you thought ham was turkey for your whole life. Okay, so here's the deal, people. <laughs> the thing you have to know about me right away, not a big sandwich person, not huge on sandwiches. But every year, you know, we'd go over to my grandma's house and she would do a ham for, for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I thought it was delicious. It was like the best. Every every year for Thanksgiving, she'd have this ham. And, you know, everyone always associates Thanksgiving with turkey. She'd have the ham. I thought that I loved turkey. <laughs> you thought so, it was turkey. So, so I would have, you know, a sandwich maybe two or three times a year. Yeah. And every time I would order turkey with it and I'd eat it and I would either think, man, they do not make... Turkey the way my, my grandma, grandma makes does. turkey because grandma's such a good cook. <laughs> or I'd think, oh, they messed up. They put ham on this. I didn't want ham. I like turkey. Wow. <laughs> so yada, yada, yada. I didn't figure out what turkey was until I was like 16. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, like, so I, I told my family, even like to this day, I still sometimes slip up and they they spot it immediately. Immediately. Yes. Yeah. So whether you're enjoying ham or turkey this Thanksgiving, just know which one you're eating. Know which one you're eating. People and, will make fun of you. And think of Kristen <laughs> while you're enjoying it. <laughs> I can tell you something else. Okay. I got rejected by a writer's conference oh, yesterday. What? Oh. Do they not know who you are? <laughs> <laughs> um, excuse me. <laughs> it kind of sucked. I I've noticed I the the magic to me getting what I want is to think that I have no shot. Anytime yeah. I think I have a shot, oh, because you were like, I'm for sure getting in this thing, and then the thing. I really thought so. It was applying. It was applying to a conference, and I thought that's bullshit. Yeah, I have to apply to go to a, a conference, conference that I'm paying for. Yeah. Clearly, this is just a formality. Was not. They evidently rejected you. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so that was a real kick to the ass. I'm very sorry. (laughs) We tell you that you're my favorite writer in this room. (laughs) Clearly you haven't read any of Peanuts Erotica. (laughs) (laughs) I was so I was so confident. I was I was thinking about telling you. Hey, just so you know, like, we might have to record one episode of the podcast early because I might be gone, you know, this time. Uh, No. We'll be here. I'll be here. (laughs) I'll be here for sure. (laughs) Anyway. No writer's conference for you. Just just keeps things, keeps me real. Keeps that head, you know, manageable. Yeah. (laughs) So, what's new with you? We took a week off. I know. We took a week off and you... Went and had an amazing vacation in Mexico. It was pretty sweet. And I was sick. (laughs) (laughs) That's how that was. (laughs) Mexico was pretty sweet. I'm so jealous. It snowed here while you were gone. I mean, it snowed when you got back. Yeah, that was that was great to come back to. Yeah, but weirdly, you've been to the same resort that we went to. Yeah, my one. I've been to Mexico one time. Uh huh. Uh, I won a sales contest with work and got to go to Cancun, and I went to the same resort (laughs) that you went to. 
And it was awesome. And, okay, this is even crazier. What? I So the day you left, I was like looking at my memories on Facebook. Yeah. Was it the same? same exact day that I went six years earlier? Whoa, weird. That fucking That's crazy. Super weird. That's super weird. What was your room number? I have no, no idea. Yeah. I can't even begin to tell you, but that would have been even crazier. But I think it's nuts that we went on the same date. To the I'm still stuck on the same resort. Yeah. Bananas. Yeah. Yeah. We're a couple of weirdos. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad we're back. Me too. I missed it. I really did too. Yeah. Maybe it's I secretly just missed you, Kristen. Oh, and you're just too embarrassed to say that <laughs> you missed say my that bone I missed structure you. and my dimples. That's right. Here's That's right. I didn't tell you about my panic that I had. No. So I got back and mm-hmm. I was thinking about like, oh man, it feels like forever since I've seen Brandy. It feels like forever since we did a podcast episode. I was sitting around on Monday, like reading my book, and then I realized I was like, what? what's coming out this week for the podcast? I can't even really remember what we recorded. Then I realized the reason I couldn't really remember it was because I hadn't edited the episode yet. (laughs) And so on Monday I was like, sound the alarm. (laughs) So I ran upstairs and like edited the episode. Oh my God. Yeah. But yeah. So it almost didn't even come out, even though we took the time. We took the time to record and everything. Damn. Anyway, it happened. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad to have you back. So uh, the podcast continues then. That's right. Made it back safe and sound. We're okay. closing in on 52 episode, episodes. 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 <laughs> episodes. <laughs> 52 episodes. So many episodes your podcast recording. Not that many of it. It's getting close. I'm getting excited. I mean, we're going to have like a special 50 second episode I feel like what should we do I don't know let's think on it my only idea is cake (laughs) cake. we we will do something special if you have suggestions for our 50 second episode which is kind of like a milestone to us because that means we've done a year of episodes in case you're wondering what the fuck 52 means (laughs) but since we put out one episode a week that's a whole year of podcasts Mm -hmm. so if you have suggestions for what we should do for our 50 second episode reach out to us we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Reach out to us there. Then, if you're, you know, sitting around with extra time and you're thinking what you should do with it, head on over to iTunes. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Our goal. You want to talk about our goal? Yeah, Kristen? let's talk about our goal. Our goal is 100 by Christmas. We're at 90. So help us out. Help us out. Let us reach our goal. Yes. Um, nothing happens if we reach this goal. It's just like a goal we set for ourselves. Like way back so we'd love to we'd love to meet it we're really we're goal people we're weird and we're weird about the goals yeah 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 like they, they really mean, mean something they to mean us. too much to us yes. there's no money attached to nothing it. There's, no, there's nothing attached to it i to my knowledge balloons will not fall no <laughs> although maybe they will maybe they will we'll find out when we get to 100 ratings God, Please Brandy, help us out. Brandy, could you stop crying? What I'm sorry. I just, I'm falling apart. I thought it was my allergies at first, and so I started taking allergy medicine, and then it told, turned into, like, a whole sinus thing, and then, like, moved to my chest, and then it just, like, roosted in my lungs for a little while, I and think now my eyes won't start Just wa- emotions taking me higher. <laughs> I love when you sing me the Bee Gees. <laughs> 
happens so often. <laughs> um, so yeah, please head on over to iTunes. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. And then join us next week. When we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from the 2020 episode Stranger Than Fiction, People.com, Fox 40, and NBC Los Angeles. And I got my info from an amazing six-part series in the Kansas City Star called Killer Love by Mark Morris and Brian Burns, as well as an article from ABC News. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours. But please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. <laughs>